0: is Robert. I am the Recovery Guy and welcome back to our podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for supporting this recovery movement, uh, whether you find us on your favorite podcast channel uh, or you've connected through Instagram, my bio to get to my website, and then you downloaded the uh, podcast directly from my website. Hey, either way, we are glad you're here. Um, You know, so often uh, we appreciate uh, you sharing uh, this content so if if what we're doing and discussing and sharing uh encourages you um share it with somebody else because if there's anything about encouragement we know we need it and so often we're connected to the people that we care about as as uh, they care about us and and sometimes they need encouragement along the road so no matter how you found me or or why you stay uh, be willing to share the content with others and let, they decide, let them decide if it's something that is going to uh, work for them and just carry the message. We're not responsible for a person receiving the message or what they do with it after it's received, but we are responsible to carry that message. You know, um, addiction, uh, getting down to it is um, just one of those conditions that lies to us. And and I'm sure you're aware of that, Um, putting it um, as my friend uh, Tom B. would say, addiction is one of the only diseases known to man that will tell you that you don't have it. Uh, Addiction, as you've heard before, I'm sure, is a disease of denial. Once again, it will tell you we don't have it as We are drawing our last breath or losing our spouse or significant other or job or family member or or what have you, friend, opportunity, it will say we are not addicted. I think the most sad thing about addiction is that most people die or at best they live a life of defeat. There is no victory, only maybe some short-term um, opportunities, uh, but v- true victory one will never have uh, as long as we stay in that denial. And uh, whether you know it or not, if you are a person in active recovery, then you are the exception and not the rule. You know, I uh, produced a blog last week called uh, Preventing Relapse. I believe it was last Thursday's blog. And and I, I gave uh, just a few statistics from uh, Psychology Today. And it was um, just discussed the relapse rate. Um, and it really doesn't go down uh, below 50% until a, a person... You know, it was somewhere between years, you know, two or three. Um, it stated, and just to reiterate information uh, from Psychology Today, I think you'll like it. The link to that article is uh, is in there as well. But it talked about uh, 66% of people coming into recovery um, in their first year, uh, they will relapse. Uh, I'm not sure of how many never come back. But I'm sure a high percentage of them just don't come back. Uh, After year one, uh, that rate uh, is about 50%, maybe of recidivism, maybe a little bit higher. And then when you begin to move out from there, some quicker than others, obviously, you begin to get that 50%. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Let's flip a coin on this. And it's not even until year five where it really swings into the um, uh, to the column of the person of recovery. And at that point, uh, your chance of staying recovered one day at a time for the rest of your life is about 85%. I get again; those are numbers. Everything looks good on paper, but just to give you an idea that if you're in recovery, uh, you are the exception, not the rule, especially if you're in year you know, past year one, two, three, and four and beyond. So why is it that so many people are relapsing or dying before they ever recover? You know, we, we've learned in our addiction to live a life of self-isolation uh, and despair or Self-isolation, that leads to despair, or despair leads to the self-isolation. They they go hand in hand. It's, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, the cart before the horse, those types of cliches. Uh, You may have heard me mention before uh, of the term, the hole of no hope. You know, addiction is a hole, and it's cold, it's dark. It's very lonely, and we begin to run out of hope while we're there. Um, years ago, uh, back in the I don't know mid to late 90s, I came across this uh, person by the name of Rick Warren, who's the pastor at Saddleback Church in in Southern California. And it was on recovery, and to this day, I'd like to find the back then it was a cassette, right? Um, but I would like to find the recording because Rick talked about, um, about a rut. Do you, do you know what a rut is? A rut is simply, as Rick would define it, is a grave with both ends kicked out. So a rut is a grave with both ends kicked out of it. And if we don't get out of it, we die there. If we don't get out of that rut, if we don't get out of that hole of no hope, that is where we die. And I I think the thing that keeps so many people from recovery and challenges them while trying to recover is what I call and what has been termed terminal uniqueness. You can Google this. Um, A lot of work, a lot of things on it. I heard it years and years ago, back in the uh, mid-80s when I was first seeking recovery. Take a little shot of coffee there. Um, And it really challenges us. And so today's podcast is entitled Death by Terminal Uniqueness. Terminal uniqueness can keep us in that rut. Let me me break the word or the phrase terminal uniqueness down for you. Uh, Again, drawing uh, on uh, uh, Merriman Webster. Terminal is simply defined as extremely or hopelessly severe. Again, extremely or hopelessly severe. And uniqueness is being without a like or equal so it is a severe case a hopeless case of not being like anyone else in other words no one understands me (laughs) wow that, uh, I I'd, I'd tell you, if, if that doesn't hit home for you, then we're not as alike as I thought we were, because that nails me right to the forehead. No one understands me. And here's where that goes to extrapolate that out. If no one can understand me, then no one can help me. And maybe I'm not responsible. Maybe I'm so unique that they haven't quite figured me out yet. And that's almost a sense of superiority. Because again, if they quite, haven't quite figured me out, or you haven't figured me out, how can you help someone like me? Since, since we know that most all addictions and maybe even all addictions are progressive in nature, eventually we will die due to our terminal, terminal uniqueness. We just will. If we, if we live long enough to enjoy true sobriety and recovery, we must work through this pattern of destruction. One of, the, one of the biggest signs of terminal uniqueness is the need to prove that we are different than others. You know, unless we're a narcissist, which is that feeling of, in, in this case, with terminal uniqueness, a uh, superiority, uh, maybe we do feel that we're superior. But I don't think most of us are narcissists we most often think we are inferior to others and and maybe just a little sicker. At times, it may come off like superiority, but it's knowing that something is wrong with us, very wrong, or maybe we're just too broken. You know, we're uh, Humpty Dumpty, right? Humpty Dumpty, the children's rhyme, sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Right? Is that is that you? I thought that was me, but it's not. In In keeping the main thing, the main thing. So many of you know I'm a walking cliche. Remember, cliches are cliches because they work. In in keeping the main thing, the main thing, or as Stephen Covey would would write, uh, first things first, right? Have a plan and work the plan, but but keep first things first. Here are some things we must do. Here's an absolute for you. Here are some things we must do to avoid the pitfalls of terminal uniqueness, which will ultimately lead to death. I'll go through these as usual now, and uh, and then, uh, then I'll walk back through them, dig a little deeper. Number one, just eight things. Uh, number one, be thoroughly convinced you are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Anything short of this, barring a miracle, you will relapse. Number two, become involved in some type of peer group recovery. Number three, be convinced that you are only as sick as your secrets. Number four, relate to others in their stories. Find the similarities. There are more similarities than there are differences. Try what's working for others in their recovery and make what applies your own. Seek outside help where appropriate. Be to others What you want others to be to you. And then number eight, wash, rinse, and repeat. That's the easy one. Well, maybe not so easy, right? Wash, rinse, repeat. Uh, I love uh, Tom Hopkins, one of the great master sales trainers. Uh, He talked about the PDR, which is the practice, drill, and rehearse. And that's a lifetime thing, the PDR. Practice, drill, and rehearse. Wash, rinse, and repeat. So number one, let's go back. Be thoroughly convinced you are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Why why is this true? Why do I say with a sense of certainty that anything short of this, barring a miracle, you will relapse? To me, it's simple. And again, it's the power of step one. It's the power of confession. It's it's the power of falling on our face and saying, I can't live this way anymore. And when I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, I am willing to do anything to find rest, to not be sick anymore, to not lose what I had to lose along the way. In, in, in self-dignity, in knowing that I'm to others what they want me to be and what I said I was going to be, to make the most out of myself, to enjoy the fruits of life. I'm so tired of losing. I'm so tired. I'm just tired. You know, and I remember my relapse. I remember I just wasn't tired enough because something said to me, maybe I'm not as sick as I said I was. Maybe I can cut these corners and still do it. There was no miracle (laughs) because I did relapse. And I've seen it time and time again. Be thoroughly convinced you are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And and I don't need you to do that because I need you to feel bad. I need you to do that because until you feel bad, the likelihood is you're not going to feel good. That's just the way it is, folks. Become involved in some type of peer group recovery. Wow, this is so important. You know, fellowship in every monotheistic religion of the world. The reliance on other children of God, from Judaism, to Catholicism, to evangelical Christianity, to the Muslim faith, you name it. The major monotheistic religions of the world talk about fellowship of the believer, being united being one in the body, so important. So whether it's your mosque, your synagogue, your church, your chapel, your temple, your parish, there's unity there. In the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've shared this with you before. One of the most powerful things I ever read is the preamble of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share. And it goes on from there. And I tell people, and this is true, folks. If that's all you ever told me, I would have stayed. I needed you to tell me I was going to be okay. The... I, I was messaging uh, my friend, Nick, and and Nick is is at that doorstep of recovery. And now with the whole COVID thing and so on and so forth, he was asking me, he said, uh, are there any online meetings that I could go to? I'm not sure if I'm comfortable being around people. So I, I shot him a message back and said, let me ask you a question. Is it shame? Is it being found out and you're just using COVID as, a, as an example or, or, excuse me, as an excuse? Because in my opinion, right, and, and I know what you say about opinions. Everybody's got one, right? They're like a-holes. But we're talking about 34 and a half years of opinion, okay? And I'm not saying it because I think I know better than others. But I've been doing this for 34 and a half years. And people like Steve and Buddy and Eddie and Will and Scott, you know, who are 35, 40 years, 44 years, they're still telling me this. So it still must be true. We need the fellowship. We need to be around people. Right? Nothing better than a peer group to show me how sick I am and how well I can become. And and if you don't, and if that works for you otherwise, then I'm glad. But the likelihood is it won't. The likelihood is it's just an excuse that you're making on your way to another relapse. So so he got back to me about 20 minutes later and he said, hey, I found this meeting I can go to. And being from Las Vegas, sober and clean anyway, from Las Vegas, I actually know where the meeting house is. I I'm aware of the meeting and and I was able to hook him up with my friend, Steve, who just celebrated 30, 35 years last week, right? So now they're getting together and chatting and that's, a, and that's a great thing, but we really need peer group recovery, social model recovery. Now, number three is be convinced that you are only as sick as your secrets. So true. Only as sick as your secrets, And this is where a peer group would help us feel comfortable in sharing because secrets are like like dirt in a wound. And until we clean that out, the likelihood is it's going to stay infected. Number four is really important. And again, drawing back on the peer group. Relate to others and their stories. You know, in the beginning, it's really good to just listen. Listen to what people say. And I guarantee you, someone is going to share your story. It's going to be like they're reading your mail. It's going to be like they got a a bug on the wall, right? And they're listening. To your thoughts. They hear what you're saying. It's like they have a camera on your life. Relate to others and their stories. Find the similarities. I was telling my friend Stephanie, I said, "You know, you got to go back. You you you've got to understand and I know how you feel. And I know you feel like a failure and I and I know that you don't feel like you could do this. I, I know that you feel isolated, but I guarantee you there are more similarities between the people in the room than there are differences. I don't, I don't mind recognizing the differences, but I celebrate the similarities because that's where healing is. That's where unity comes from. If I have, three things that are different between you and me, like maybe race or gender or or nationality or socioeconomic upbringing, what have you, three or four differences, that's nothing. Because I guarantee you, and I don't care who you are or where you come from, if you and I sat and and talked for a half hour, we could have a list of all the areas that we agree on, all the similarities. And that's what I want to find. I want to find how I'm like you. And that leads me to the next thing. There are things that people are doing that's working for them. You know, I was so fortunate to run into just a group of recovered people that were really working programs of recovery and, and again, going back to Steve M and, and guys like Scott and Buddy and Max and the rest of them the Slow Will, it's like, hey, you don't have to reinvent this. Why don't you just see what we're doing? Why don't you just copy it, right? Who cares? <laughs> they copied it from someone else, right? And, and we do what they're doing. We try what's working for them. And then eventually we make what works our own. Anything that works, we apply it to our own life and we adopt it. We make a tweak here and a tweak there, right? Just to fit us and our personality, as long as we're not minimizing, rationalizing, or denying. That's perfectly fine to adjust it to us. But we try what's working for them and their recovery, and we make that work for our own. The next thing is really important. Because some of us are sicker than others. And as we uncover one area, we realize there's another area and we work through that. And then there's another and another and another. Sometimes we need to get outside help. We just do. There's nothing wrong with getting professional help. Uh, I have this I have this friend of mine and she she had relapsed after five years and now she's got seven months again and I'm so proud of her. But she realized she has a dual diagnosis. She finally realized, and she needs to go get treatment for that. She happens to be bipolar. And I'll tell you, having been a counselor in a dual diagnosis facility, not dual addiction, right? Or polyaddicted, but dual diagnosis where, where you actually have a, 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 a charted, or diagnose psychiatric condition along with your addiction. I'll tell you that was uh, that was an experience working with manics and schizophrenics and and bipolar, very interesting individuals and group of people, especially if they're cheeking their meds, right? So, some of us again are sicker than others. We need. Psychiatric, spiritual counseling, professional help, and there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is to find out we could use it and not go get it. Sometimes we deal with levels of anxiety and just sometimes talking to a professional can just help us sort things out or talking to a, a friend, your rabbi, your imam, your priest, your pastor, right? A, a psychiatrist, a psychologist. Sometimes we just need it, and and it's perfectly appropriate. Number seven. This is really important because now we're going to begin understanding our value. Be to others what you wanted others to be to you. I'll tell you. <laughs> There is nothing more exciting in recovery. And you who have recovered, you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing more exciting in recovery than giving back the way you have been given to. It is a a feeling and a joy that you will not want to miss. And I'm grinning ear to ear now. Because I have been so fortunate to be a part of the lives of people who are resurrected. We we are people who come from that hole of no hope. We are on our way to dying through our terminal uniqueness. We are in this rut that we just can't get out of. And we break free and we understand our value and we start sharing to remove the secrets and the sickness. We begin taking on the life of someone else as they have taken on a new life. And we see what works and what doesn't work and we keep what works and, and maybe we rework something that doesn't work so it does work, right? And all of a sudden we wake up one day and we think, I feel valuable. Maybe I can give to someone what was given to me, which becomes a reasonable service. I love in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, where it says that what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And then it says to, we need to find God's vision for us and then go do it. And you know what the vision is? The vision is step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, right? Now we go help other people. I hope you have that opportunity. I hope if you have had the opportunity, you continue to grow in it. Because there's nothing more powerful, especially one of the reasons I stay positive so often is because I stay out of me. I don't worry about what's going on in my life because I change when I can change. And I learn to accept and trust God for the things that I don't understand or I'm in God's waiting room for. But in the meantime, I'm reaching out. I I remember last night and reached out to my friend Hayes and I, and I said, Hey, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you and I hope you're doing okay. I care for you. And the next thing you know, I get a message back. Yeah. It's kind of been a rough week, but I'm on my way to a meeting. and I think I'm going to be okay. And I said, well, you know, girl, you know, I'm in your corner. I got you, right? And she hit back and said, I know. (laughs) What, What else do you want? And I'm blessed. And number eight, wash, rinse, and repeat just do it again. And you say, how long? Well, I've been at it for 34 and a half years and I I will still continue to wash, rinse and repeat. I'm not going to walk back through these. I've spent some time with them. They're going to be in the notes. Jonathan is the master. Jonathan Barker, website administrator extraordinaire. He'll make sure they're there. But take a look at them. Don't Let me find you in the in the obituary and your cause of death was terminal uniqueness because we have so much more to offer. Keeping these things in mind will help you grow and not go. And above all, be strong and stay blessed. Now, again, there's an opportunity for you to support our recovery movement Go to patreon.com forward slash guy. Or you can find it through our website at recoveryguy.org. Just go to Patreon in the menu or the drop-down. Pablo's put it in there. Or if you want to do a one-time gift, you can find me at Venmo at Robert-Pardon-3. I guarantee you all the proceeds that come in frees my time up even more. So I can create more content, spend more time with more people, sharing this message of hope, sharing this message of recovery, sharing this wellness that I've been given. And as Tom would say, I can become weller than the well. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today. And as always, my name is Robert and I am The Recovery Guy.